Good morning, church. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to be here today. It is a fantastic day. Uh, we have a, a lot of, of guests in the room, so welcome. Uh, thank you for being here today. It's great to have met you, but not only do we have a lot of first-time guests today, we have old family, not old in age, but old in history. Uh, Richard and Dolores Alvarado, so glad to see you in the house today. It just feels so good. It just feels like home again, having you sit there um, and saying amen to every good point that I'm going to make today. <laughs> Laughing at all of my jokes, even when no one else does. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, we start a new series today called Allies and Enemies. Allies and Enemies. You know, in our Christian life, every battle that we face will stretch us and grow us, or it has the potential to take us out. Now, I know we don't like to think about battles taking us out, but we all know someone who has been hurt by the church, wounded by unmet expectations from God or their pray, prayers, um, and that battle has taken them out. Can you just wave your hand at me? If you know someone, it's not you, you know someone. You're here today, you're still standing Battles have the potential. Now, I know that the battle belongs to the Lord, Chris, but the reality is we're still in the battle. Are you with me? We're not responsible for the outcome, but we're responsible for staying in the battle. So I want to talk to you today about allies and enemies in the battle because I believe that part of my calling and my work that God has called me to do is to equip you for the battle. Right, And I equip you through the truth. I equip you with encouragement, supporting you through prayer throughout the week. When you guys don't even call for prayer, our team is praying for you. I support you by sometimes offending you. Can I get a good amen from someone that's been offended by me? <laughs> I had a cinematic dream last night. And it doesn't happen often. The way the Lord speaks to me mostly is through dreams. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying to you that this is a prophetic dream. The Lord's wrestling with me on, on the meaning and all of that. Uh, but it was a super cool dream and cinematic in nature. Meaning, as I was dreaming, it wasn't just Trey encountering stuff. I was seeing panoramic shots um, like flying over the ocean, as if a cinema had been made, you know, with good cinematography. That's the kind of dream it was. It was fantastic. I didn't want to wake up. But in this dream, I was looking at a, a war-torn city. And I was walking alone, and there was debris everywhere. Now, when I say war-torn, I'm not talking about Damascus or Kosovo. I'm, I'm talking about, like, Pflugerville. So it was a city that I knew and recognized, and the buildings weren't demolished, but you could just see that people were scattered. And so I'm walking, and I see this one man. I turn to look at him, and I know instantly inside, I didn't ask him, but I knew that he was alone, and he felt shame and shunned because he had a belief that no one else believed. You see, in my dream, beliefs defined you, and... Uh, there was increasing separation. I felt like that was the war that was going on. And this man, 
I looked at him and I knew exactly or instantly what his belief was. Now, you have to have seen the the Hunger Games to know what I'm about to say. Uh, But he believed that Haymitch was the hero in the Hunger Games. Anyone seen the Hunger Games before? Okay, some people would say that Katniss uh, was the hero or heroine. Uh, Some would say that Pedo was the hero, but he believed that Haymitch, because he was the mastermind, he was from like getting District 12 and District 13 together, he believed Haymitch was the hero. So everyone was shunning him because he believed Haymitch was the hero. And then I turn and I look and there's a crowd of people walking toward me and they start pointing at me. And they say, we know what you believe. You, you pray to that God. And I remember uh, saying very boldly in my dream, uh, quoting Romans 1.16, I said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. And then more people came up and they're pointing at me and they're like, we know who you pray to. And I'm like, yeah. I prayed, I was like, yeah, I prayed to Jesus. And I said, Jesus, you know, the stone that was rejected, there's salvation by no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. I pray to him. And then I woke up. And it was, a, it was the, the cinematography of the dream was stunning. But what I really in my spirit walked away with is that God is letting me know that there is a coming persecution to believers. There is a coming separation and isolation to believers, to those who would say that they pray to Jesus, the Son of God, the only God, the God above every other God. And so it's nice today to be in a house where people have your back where they laugh when your jokes aren't really funny, where they say amen when it's kind of a weak sauce point. You know what I mean? Like we're family and and that's awesome. But what I hope to accomplish in this series is to help you understand that God has equipped us with allies who will empower us for the victory ahead, right? You don't have to do this life alone. You don't have to walk through war-torn Pflugerville and stand alone. God has created us as family. He has equipped us with allies. But it would be foolish to go into battle uh, not knowing who is on your side and who isn't. And in this series, I'm also going to talk to us about who is against us, our enemies. You and I have enemies in the battle. We're going to talk about that. But I want to take you to my text. And if you'll stand to your feet. It's John chapter 9. Verses 1 through 25. As I'm reading the text, I want you to notice how many times are words like who, what, where, when, how, and why. Okay? Um, I don't know the proper English term for those sets of words. I should have looked that up. Um, But who, what, where, when, and why. Okay? Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. 
I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Let me read verse 4 again for you. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, Jesus spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed, he smeared the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. And he said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how? How were your eyes opened? And he answered and he said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where? Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees who also asked him again, how? How he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes. I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how? How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, What? What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How? How then does he now see? His parents asked, answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or better said, we do not know how. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory, for we know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. Father, we come before you today. God, I ask that your word would speak to our heart. God, transform our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we give you full permission, Lord, to do crazy things inside of us. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, Amen. 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 You may be seated. There was a man who took... Um, 
an emergency preparation class and he learned CPR and first aid and all of that and he was kind of bragging to his friends because you know he said I really value being prepared so I took this class and a few days passed by and and he comes back to his friends and he says the class paid off I was sitting uh, walking down the road and I saw this car hit a woman the woman fell to the ground and she broke her wrist and she broke her elbow and she twisted her leg like a pretzel and her eyebrow was bleeding and she was screaming out in pain. Thank God that I took the first aid CPR class and his friend said, what? That's crazy. What'd you do? And he goes, well, thanks to my CPR and first aid class, I sat down on the curb, put my head between my knees to keep from passing out. That reminded me, I read that, and that reminded me of when we had our first child, and we went through Lamar's classes, and I was teaching my wife, and teaching my wife, I was learning with my wife, <laughs> hey honey, let me teach you how to have a baby, this is what you do. I was learning with my wife how to breathe, and so we were breathing and all of that, uh, it wasn't long before I was on the ground, and the nurse was giving me attention, smelly salts, trying to wake me up from being passed out. Um, I, I believe in preparation. Enneagram six people are going to love this sermon, by the way. I'm not a six. I'm an Enneagram four. If you subscribe to that kind of stuff, fours in the room, yeah. Uh, but sixes will love this because Enneagram six, uh, they love preparation. And I, I'm here to tell us this morning that I feel there is a growing need in our world to be prepared. I believe there is a growing need to be prepared. Now, in the natural, what does that look like? In, in the natural, in the physical realm, being prepared, um, disaster preparedness, we use the word what to get prepared. Right? What? What do, what do I need to be watching for? Right? Probably in Austin, Texas, we don't need to be watching for earthquakes. Right? If there is an earthquake in Austin, Texas, you know the world is over. Like, if it has reached us, we're, we're gone, right? Uh, we don't really need to prepare for earthquakes like our friends in California do. Uh, we don't really, in Austin, need to prepare for tsunamis like our friends in India do. Um, we do need to prepare for things like tornadoes. Yeah, can I get a good amen? Everybody is hidden once, at least once, in a bathroom with two dogs and a turtle and five kids. <laughs> in the natural, we ask the question, what? What do, I, what do I need? What do I need? I'm a preparer, which is really funny. I'm a procrastinator and a preparer. So it depends on which day you get me. You would think I'm an Enneagram six. I'm pretty confident my parents are, are partial sixes. So I got enough of that growing up that it just feels like wisdom to me now. So I prepare. You know when all you were looking for water and toilet paper? You know who had some? Me. And not because I went to HEB the moment the headlines came out. I actually, by the way, delivered quite a bit of toilet paper. If you let me know, I, I won't make you raise your hand if you got toilet paper for me. But there are many people in the room. 
they got toilet paper and water for me. Okay, so thank you, Pastor, for preparing in advance for what might, might could be. But listen, this is not a prophetic word, but I need you to hear my heart, okay? I need you to prepare. I need you to prepare for three weeks of no electricity. What would you do? What would you do if there was no electricity for three weeks? What would you eat? What would you drink? Think of all of these things. The way our world is going, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know this. That is a very real possibility in our world. With natural disasters ever increasing. I mean, come on, we just went through a snow, snow, snow apocalypse this year, right? So I need you to hear me, and I, I hope you're taking me serious. Um, don't discount physical advice as unscriptural or unbiblical or unspiritual. Prepare for three weeks in your home. This week, prepare for three weeks, no electricity, all right? And if we have electricity for a whole other year, that's great. You get to donate some of that stuff when it's about to expire. Call over your, your family and your friends and have a big meal of pinto beans, you know? <laughs> Do something creative with it, but be prepared because the moment that you discover you need something, it's too late to prepare. So that's the, in the natural, we ask the question, what? But what does preparedness in the spirit look like? That's where I'm most qualified to talk today. In the spirit, it doesn't begin with asking the question, what? It begins with asking the question, who? Who? Who is God really to me? Who does God say that I really am? Because when the world is wanting to go crazy over no toilet paper, what, is, what has God called me to be in that moment? Like, who am I? Am I a son? Or am I an orphan? Spiritual preparedness relies on the who. Who is he? Is, is God good? Do I really believe that God is good? Is he really faithful? Do I believe that he is faithful? Do I believe that he's for me? You see, we need all of these things solidified in our heart before disaster comes. We need to know who is for me, who is against me. Not only who, I suppose um, in, in the natural, we ask the question, what? The other one is how, how is in the natural? How am I gonna survive this? How am I gonna get out of this predicament? How will I pay these bills, right? That's all in the, those are good questions to ask in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, it's who, but also where. Where is God moving in my life right now? Because I would rather jump on that train than try to create and manufacture a move of God in my life that he's not breathing on. And when you step into the flow of what God is breathing on, where is he breathing in my life? You will be supernaturally empowered to complete what he started. So we ask the questions of who and where. Where is my heart? Where is my loyalty? Where is my commitment? Where am I spending my time? Where is my treasure? By the way, you will always find your heart tied very closely to your treasure. In our text, Jesus performs a miracle. You know, we just read. He got the mud and he smeared it on the eyes. 
And everyone is asking the wrong question in that moment. They keep asking how instead of who. In verse 10, it says, Therefore they, the crowd, verse 10, I'll put that on the screen so you can read it along with me. Therefore they, the crowd, Therefore they, the crowd, said to him, How were your eyes opened? Verse 11, he answered and said, A man called Jesus. You notice he didn't start with the how. What did he start with? The who. Are you with me? They asked, how did this happen? And the reply began with a who. Because the man who just got healed understood something very important. You can't get a how without a who. This side, maybe you'll get it. You can't get a how without a who. You can't get a miracle from God without God. Some of us are trying to make miracles and say it's from God. Come on, you got your how without a who. Stop doing that. Every how needs a who, and it starts with the who, not the how. You're trying to get a how without a who, and you can make a miracle if you want to, but if you make one, you're going to miss one, and the one you miss is going to be greater than the one you make. So the Grinch was biblical whoville after all. There's a growing, growing need to get ready. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. Turn to your other neighbor and say, stay ready. If you're watching online, type in the chat, get ready, get ready, get ready. Stay ready, stay ready. We need to get ready. I hope you heard me in the beginning. In the physical, get ready. In the spiritual, we need to get ready. Ten years ago, we moved here and we had three young kids. We had Mike and Michaela and then the three younger kids that we adopted. Jordan was on drums today. Jordan was on drums today, right? Where's Jordan now? Jordan. Someone get my son and tell him to get into church. Hey, Jordan, son. Hi. Were you listening to your daddy's message? Okay. Listen, I want to tell a story real quick, okay? Jordan, he wasn't always this tall, by the way. So Jordan, when he was in elementary school, um, it wasn't just you. It was your sister and your brother as well. Would not wake up for school, right? I didn't learn this until the drive to church, and he already gave me permission to tell it, right? I had permission to tell it um, so mom can relax. Uh, They would not wake up for school. It was ridiculous. I mean, we almost lost our salvation multiple times, yelling at our kids. We talked to the principal, and the principal said, um, the principal said, make them go in their pajamas. You'll only have to do it a few times. Well, we didn't. They went to pajamas half the school year (laughs) because they would not get up. I mean, we did not need a clothing allowance for that year because they went to school in their pajamas. I found out on the way to church this morning that Jordan did a thing. I don't know, Carrie, you may have known he did this. I didn't know this till this morning. He started not wearing pajamas to bed. He wore his school clothes to bed so that he would wake up and go to school already dressed. 
many times in his pajamas, but the point is he learned to be ready before he needed to be ready. Good job. Thanks, Jordan. I wonder what would happen to us if we actually learned to be ready before we needed to be ready. There is a, a readiness that I think that God is trying to establish. You see, Jesus says in this block of text, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Meaning you have a limited window of opportunity to get ready. And when the night has come, the night has come. You won't get to prepare daytime preparations during the night. I've, I feel this so heavy. I hope that you're, you're catching what the Spirit of God is trying to say to you to get ready. There is a readiness that is needed in the body of Christ today like never before. We have been blessed in America. I am so grateful to live in the good old U.S. of A. where for the most part, we've not had to die for our faith. We're not worried, right, for the most part, of the government coming into this building right now with artillery and blowing us away because of the name of Jesus. I'm grateful for that. There are people all around the world who face that each and every day. My question to us today, though, is our faith solid enough that if those were the stakes and that was the game we were playing would we still stand firm in the faith? Readiness and courage. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We have several uh, enemies that I'm going to talk about in this series, but I want to touch on today just the top dog. The number one enemy that you and I have as a believer and a follower of Jesus. His name is Satan. Enemy number one is Satan. Everybody say Satan. Satan. Say Lucifer. Say the devil. Very good. He is enemy number one. And we need to understand that he exists and he's out to get you. He's out to defeat you. He is out to rob your legacy, to steal your inheritance. He is out to uh, deceive you. John 10.10 10 tells us he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I know it's easy for us to think he's not coming for me, but he's coming for me. 1 Peter 5, 8-10 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory of Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Look at your neighbor and say, settle down. Settle down. May the grace of God settle us down. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis, Lewis makes the point that there are two mistakes that Christians can make. 
The first mistake that we can make is to pretend that the enemy doesn't exist. To pretend that Satan doesn't exist or to pretend that he's some little guy in a red costume with bouncy horns that you can just flip and it's just all fun and games. We don't need to give any acknowledgement to him. Just pretend that he doesn't exist. C.S. Lewis says, and I agree with him, that's the first mistake that we make. Can you imagine being on a football team and pretending there's no other team on the field? How ridiculous would that be? Could you, can, can you imagine driving your car at a four-way stop and pretending that there are no other cars at the four-way stop? Some of you are like, I saw someone do that just yesterday. How ridiculous that is. We have an enemy. We can't pretend he doesn't exist. But C.S. Lewis says the other big mistake is to put all of our focus, all of our thought, all of our attention on the enemy so that he becomes so big in our world, we can't see the glorious grace of our God who has already rescued us, who has already defeated the battle, who has already brought us victory. So there are two mistakes. And demons are equally pleased when we make the mistake of both. We pretend they don't exist or that's all that exists. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's not Satan that won't let you lose weight. Sometimes it's the cake that your wife makes, the rhubarb cake from the mother's recipe box that is not Weight Watchers. Do you, I mean, I'm not talking, telling my story. I'm just saying someone out there. Do you know what I mean? We can't blame the devil for everything. Sometimes we just need to take ownership of our problems. We've created messes ourselves, and we can blame the devil. That makes us feel great, right? But you can't change what you don't own. So if it's really your problem, it's your flesh, you have to own that so there can be transformation in your life. Jesus came to win the spiritual battle, and he partners with you to win the battle in the flesh. That was deeper than our amens were loud. In some of our most popular films and television shows, we see good and evil all the time, right? The, the Superman versus, well, they're both good. Superman versus Batman, they're both good. You, gotta, <laughs> you have to think, tell, give me some good and, and bad options here. Lex Luthor, Luther, the Joker, good. So you understand this superhero, you've got good and bad and you know, a lot of times the good and the bad in the superhero movies have equal power. You know what I mean? It's like, oh gosh, is Superman going to win? Is Batman going to win this time? Is Wonder Woman going to win? Is Spider-Man, is he going to live? You know, you, sometimes you get pulled into that notion of the bad guy might win. But I've got news for us today. God has no equal. He has no rival. It's not God versus the devil and we have to wonder who's going to win today. We understand that he's already won. Amen? The devil was created by God. He's not his equal. A Barna survey, this is probably the most bone-chilling fact that I've read in a while. A Barna survey showed that four out of ten Christians, four out of ten, 40 percent of people who say they are Christians strongly agreed 
that Satan is not a living being, but is just a symbol of evil. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our, Our battle is not against flesh and blood. You know what happens when you don't believe that there is a Satan? Humans become your enemy. Is this why we have the church not standing up with the brother and sister who disagrees with them and and stepping into the battle as a united front? Are you with me? And and instead, we have many people in church who just say, that person is my enemy because they look different than me. That person is my, my enemy because they talk different or they believe different or they have a different, different political party or, you know, you can fill in the blank. But the reality is no matter how annoying someone else is, they're still not your enemy. They are an image bearer of Jesus Christ. They are a son or daughter, whether they know it yet or not. That they may be as worldly as they come, but they just haven't taken their next step of yes yet. They're not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And in order to stand firm in the faith, we have to understand who our real enemy is. So in allies and enemies, our lesson of the day, in addition to readiness and courage, is to know who your enemy is. That person on 35 who cut you off is not your enemy. Right? That, 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 that person at work who's been gossiping about you, as ignorant as they are, they're not your enemy. That, that person who doesn't value you, that person that hurt you, they're not your enemy. Your enemy is Satan. And we have to understand that he is truly after us. Because here's what's happening in our world. We're, we're being conditioned to believe less in the spiritual realm and believe more in what our eyes can see. How many of you here this morning... 15 years ago, would have believed that we would see in the news a discussion about aliens. You've seen this in the news. Okay, I was hoping I wasn't the only one. So, So now we know this month that They're releasing documents on UFOs, unidentified flying objects, aerial phenomena, being released by the government, right? We're we're seeing actual footage of what looks like out-of-this-world creatures, right? And we've been conditioned up in this point to only believe what we can see. So, you know, I, I found it interesting that a former president said in the last week or two, that if aliens are revealed, a new world religion will emerge. 
That new world religion is a, a world religion that believes in sight, not on faith. By the way, if you're hearing me and you're in the room or you're watching on TV or you're watching this years from now or months from now, and there has been uh, some phenomenon around the world where we have seen with our eyes aliens, I need you to hear me. Aliens don't exist. Those are demons, baby. They are demons coming as an angel of light. They will try to convince the world that they have brought our philosophies, that have, they have brought our languages, that they have brought our arts. But it is the work of Satan trying to confuse a whole generation to walking away from the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Being steadfast in the faith is our greatest defense against our enemy. You know who's not going to be confused when the aliens show up? Believers in Jesus Christ who have actually read the word of God, who understand that there are cosmic powers that we're going to be seeing, who wouldn't even be shocked by aliens because they see in the word of God how it can easily come to pass. Like students of the word, people who know their father, who are in communion with Jesus, won't be shaken. But you know who will? People who play church. People who came to church out of duty. People who came to church because they felt like that would save them. And it was more about getting their ticket to heaven rather than knowing who was in control. I don't want to leave you. Chad, I can't leave them just saying the devil's the enemy. I have to give them a friend. Ally number one, let's go to the top dog. It's the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I believe that in the coming days and weeks, you're going to begin to have encounters with Holy Spirit like you've never had before. That's right, he's gonna give you dreams that you've prayed for and you've longed for. Some of you are gonna to start to have visions. Some of you are gonna have angelic visitations. I know, if you're like me, you're like, I don't want that one, God. I like the dreams, don't let Emmanuel be standing in my living room when I get home today. That will freak me out, right? I used to feel that way. I, now I don't care. I'm like, bring, bring it all you got, God. Give me all you got. Just like turn that nozzle full blast. I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to make himself so real to you. Listen, you're going to be in the grocery store and you're going to see someone you don't know. And the Lord is going to whisper to your heart, go pray for them. Go encourage them. Or they just lost a family member. You're going to start to know needs before that person ever tells you. You're going to start to pay for people's groceries or the food behind you, not because you just have extra money, but because the Holy Spirit is going to, in that moment, say, this is what you have to do. You see, the Lord is building readiness in his people. Readiness and courage. Yes, Lord, Father, in the name of Jesus. 
God, I thank you that even now that tumor is beginning to shrivel up in Jesus' name. That lump is beginning to shrivel up in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that disease will be far, far from our dwelling. In the name of Jesus Christ, I just speak right now to cancer and I say that you have to go in Jesus' name. You don't have the final word. You don't have the authority or the final say. In Jesus' name, I thank you for the healing that is flowing in the room. God, I thank you that you are stirring within us a desire to walk in the supernatural. God, we understand that in the end of days, the enemy will be doing everything he can to deceive a world who is looking for truth, a world who is desperately wanting to be woke. But in instead of finding the real truth, they create their own truth because the enemy is going around like a lion trying to devour. But where sin abounds, grace abounds. So God, I thank you that we are part of that end time church. We are part of the body that you are raising up in those last days that as the enemy tries to bring supernatural attacks against people, God, we are going to be the people that you use to raise up a standard against him. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can you give Jesus a hand clap this morning? God bless you. We love you.